You know, when I think about that song and the lyric that we just sang together, I'm drawn to the, these words in particular. You have broken every chain. You've broken every chain and there's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, you are my living hope. And he needs to be our living hope. He needs to be my living hope. And when I sing the words to that song, salvation, I, I think about what are the things that, that Jesus has saved me from. And this is really it. He has saved me from myself. And when I can picture myself, if I can remove myself from relationship with Jesus Christ and picture myself before that, I see these, these big, nasty, rusty, heavy chains hanging over my shoulders, wrapped around my neck, pulling me down to the ground, and the only one that has the capability to lift and break those chains is the person of Jesus Christ. And I am so very thankful that he has done that for me, and it's my prayer and my hope that he has done that for you, because here's the, here's the real story behind all of this. If you are still bound by those chains, there is no way you're going to experience true contentment in your life. And that brings us to today's message, true contentment. We're back into Philippians. We took a two-week break as we focused on, on the kingdom of God and the true king, the one who is ruling and reigning in that kingdom, Jesus Christ. We looked at that last week. Uh, but now again, I am absolutely amazed. I'm absolutely amazed how God preordained this, ser this series to fall out as it has. And today being true contentment, the Apostle Paul teaching us what it means to be truly content in our relationship with the Lord. It's so amazing to me that he would choose to have that be preached in a time like this. And so true contentment, here we go. Let me ask you a question. Well, a handful of questions here, but, but think about this. What is contentment? If I ask you the question, what is contentment? What kind of thoughts come to your mind? These are what they should be acceptance of, so if we could call this the definition for contentment, it's acceptance of and a satisfaction with one's situation. A sense of happiness. It's a heart, a heart that is settled and at absolute peace. If we were to define contentment, that's what we would say contentment is. What brings us contentment? I can tell you what brings me contentment. When things go the way I want them to, in accordance with the time I expect them to, and I get exactly what I want as I'm going through this. Let me say it again. When things go our way, when we get what we want, when we want, and how we want it. That's what brings us contentment, isn't it? How about discontentment? What is it that drives you to a place of discontentment? Now, I'm going to read a list here, and I want you to... I'm not... I don't have names in my head. I don't have faces in my head when I read this list. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to cry out to the Lord right now um, on your own behalf. Lord, by the power and the might of your Holy Spirit in me, I want you to convict me in these areas of where I'm discontent in my life. So I don't know if any of these apply to you, but let's see if they do. What causes us to be discontent? When things don't go our way, when things aren't as we want them to be. How about your physical appearance? Maybe it's your hair or your weight or your height. I think right now, I don't know if you've noticed, but I cut my own hair because I can't go to Art's Barbershop and get my hair cut right now. I was, I was not pleased with the length of my hair. 
And so I took, a, I took matters into my own hands and I cut it. And I'm hoping that from this distance away, you can't really tell the job that I did. Physical appearance, hair, weight, height. Are you content with how the Lord has provided you for you in those areas? How about your job situation? Maybe you're currently working. And as you watch others that have been impacted by the coronavirus and are not able to go to work, you're seeing them experience whatever level of freedom that we're able to experience right now. Maybe you don't want to be at work and you're envious of those who are not working. Maybe you're someone right now that the Lord has said, it's time for you to rest for a bit and you're not able to go to work and you're looking at those that are working and you wish you could be working. Job situation, how about money? Maybe your portfolio right now isn't performing the way you wish it would. Maybe your job isn't paying you as much as you wish it would pay you. How about your marriage? Maybe you're recently married and you don't expect, or you, your marriage isn't going the way you expected it would. You had different expectations for what marriage would be. Maybe you've been married for a long time and you're realizing over the years that marriage is way harder than you expected it to be. How about your home situation, your house? You're sitting in it, you're looking around, you're wondering what needs to be updated next. Maybe, maybe you're living in an apartment and you want to be in a house. Maybe you're in a house and you're tired of the responsibilities of home ownership and you want to live in an apartment. Maybe you're a young adult and you would prefer to not be under the roof of your parents. The list can go on and on, can't, can it? of areas of our lives where we experience discontent because we're not getting what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. Here's a danger we run into when we, when, we think of, when we think of wants and needs in these terms. We get them confused, don't we? If we're not careful, things we believe we need turn into wants. Things we, excuse me, let me say that again. Things we believe we Want, we translate and believe that they're actually needs. For some of us, these areas of discontentment are necessary because that's God trying to get our attention and reveal to us that we are looking in the wrong places for contentment. So, how would you describe your heart today? Could you say that your heart is content? Would you say that you're settled? Could you say that you're at peace? You're satisfied with where Jesus currently has you? If not, why? What is it about your current situation? What is it about your current circumstances that has you in a place of discontentment? The Apostle Paul, I believe, understood very well what contentment was, what contentment is. And this is my hope today that we, after we walk through this passage together, we would understand how to get to where Paul was when he says, when he says that no matter the situation, I can be content. Whether I'm being brought low, whether I'm abounding, in any and every circumstance, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Today's passage brings us answers for how we get to a place of contentment. And so here we go. Here we go, church. Here's the big question that we want to answer today. How do I get to the place of godly contentment? Notice, notice I'm calling it the place. 
Because I really truly believe, based on what we're going to learn today, there is only one place for us to find contentment. If I were to say a place, it would suggest that there are multiple places we can turn for contentment. But I believe there is only one place. And so, how do we get, how do I get to the place of godly contentment? Let's pray before we get into this. Father in heaven, as we come before you right now, I just want to say I recognize you. We recognize you as our sovereign Lord, who is absolutely in control of everything that we see happening around us. Lord, I am thankful that you use times of discontentment to reveal to us areas in our lives where we are missing it in our relationship with you. Forgive us, Lord, for when and for when we look in places other than we should for contentment. Now I'm asking, Lord, that as your Holy Spirit is at work in the life of your church, that you would pour yourself out on your church as they are, as they are stationed in their living rooms all around West Michigan. Lord, pour yourself out on them. I pray, I pray that the words that flow from my mouth right now would be touched by your Holy Spirit and that you would meet each one where he is or where she is that you would convict, that you would humble, that you would change hearts, and that you would bring contentment. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. That's our passage today, four short verses, four very high horsepowered verses, where the Apostle Paul is talking about contentment. So let's read it together, starting at verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength or who strengthens me. Now, when I look at this passage, it is so, so rich, so rich. But there are, there are a handful of words that just every time I read it seem to jump off the page at me. And this is what they are, content. Paul says content. I've, I've learned to be content. Learned jumps off the page at me. Need Need comes at me, and then through him. And so here it is in a nutshell. Contentment is the goal. Paul says, I am content. He is content because he has learned. God did not wave a magic wand of contentment over the apostle Paul's head when he came into relationship with him. Paul says that I have learned. I have learned how to be content. And the Apostle Paul also had a proper perspective on what need is. He says in verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need. He knew what need was. He had a proper understanding of need. He, wanted, he was looking for contentment. He learned it through life's highs and lows. He had a proper perspective of need. And then through him in verse 13, through him, Paul understood that 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 contentment can only come when we do things through him and the strength that he provides for us. All right? So here we go. Attaining godly contentment involves the following. 
Here's the first one, a right understanding of need. Look at verse 11 again. Now, not that I am speaking of being in need. Now, let me, let me give you the setting for where Paul is right now as he's writing this. The Apostle Paul is sitting in prison, probably in Rome, possibly Caesarea. Either case, he's very far away from the, from the Philippian church, from Philippi. He's under house arrest. He is chained to a Roman guard. He can't work. Whatever meager rations they are providing for him is what he gets, and anything beyond that, he is dependent on others to provide for him as he sits in prison. He hadn't heard from the Philippian church in 10 years, somewhere around 10 years. And at the beginning of his ministry, as he started the Philippian church, they entered into supporting him as he went on his missionary journeys. They were his number one support. And then silence. He doesn't hear from them for 10 years. He's sitting in a Roman in house arrest. You know, as I think about that, take a moment right now. Take a moment and, and imagine that you're the Apostle Paul. Sitting alone in a church that had supported you, all of a sudden goes silent and you don't hear from them. And there was no telephone call, there was no text there was no email. There was no message that said, hey, Paul, here comes Epaphroditus with a gift from us to provide for you. There was none of that. In the moment, Epaphroditus shows up on the door and says, Paul, I'm here, and I'm representing the Philippian church. Can you imagine the joy that would have coursed through Paul's veins as he sees his brother Epaphroditus there presenting him with a gift? And we're going to learn the gift wasn't even a concern for him but that he sees this church has, has renewed its concern for him. We don't know why, they, why there was a separation, but what we know right now is the Apostle Paul is overcome because Epaphroditus has showed up on the doorstep with a provision. But keep in mind, please keep in mind, it wasn't the provision, it was the person, it was the people that Epaphroditus represented. And we're going to see in verses 11 through 13, it was not at all about the gift, because Paul had learned to be content no matter what, whether he was hungry or well-fed, whether he was experiencing abundance or not. The gift was not the issue. And here's what, here's what, Paul had a right understanding of need. He had an absolute right understanding of need. At the absolute core of Paul, at the absolute core of anyone that comes into relationship with Christ, is a longing and a desperate desire to know the one that created. Jesus is at the core of everyone's need, and then that we would be like him. Turn back one chapter, and we're going to see Paul expressing this in chapter 3, starting at verse 7. This comes right on the heels of him giving his, um, his spiritual resume this is why I should be well thought of. He is now saying this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, he says, I count everything as loss, everything, because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There was nothing that came into the Apostle Paul's life that was more paramount to him than knowing Jesus and being in him. 
For his sake, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. They mean nothing to me in order that I may what? Gain Christ. His singular focus, his singular purpose. And be found where? In him. Verse 9 says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through what? Faith where? In Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And faith can only come as we are in relationship with Christ. And then verse 10, he says, that I may know him. The centrality of contentment in the life of any individual is accepting that it comes in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Very simple. Listen to how he says it to the Colossian church in chapter 2, starting at verse 6 through 10. He says, Therefore, as you have what received Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, I need to pause for a second. Maybe you're checked into this message today. And this doesn't describe you, received Christ Jesus as Lord. I will make you this guarantee. If you have yet to receive Christ Jesus as Lord, if you have yet to bow your knee to him, I guarantee you will never experience true contentment. And here is why. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so, he says, walk in him. Everything happens in him, rooted and built up where? In him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled where? In him, who is the head of all rule and authority. He's the head of all rule and authority. You need to understand, we need to understand this. When we are in relationship with Jesus Christ the Lord, everything is in him, through him, flows from him. There is no answer outside of the person of Jesus Christ, who is, make note of this, the rule and authority and the head of all things. And even for, the, even for those of us who are in relationship with Christ, we struggle with that from time to time. We don't like the pace with which he's bringing stuff, stuff to, uh, into our lives. And so we try on our own to speed things up. We don't like this circumstance. We don't like this situation. So what do we do in our strength? We try and wrestle control away from the Lord and do it the way we think we should do it. But we need to remember always when we come into relationship with Christ, he is our rule and he is our authority. And it's going to go the way he wants it to, whether we like it or not. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 we know that when we are in relationship with Christ, this is a piece of the core matter, our core need, is when we are in relationship with Christ, he expects that we would look like him. We are to be his ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation, people that are taking on the likeness of Christ and presenting that to a world that's watching on. And so if you find your place, brother in Christ, sister in Christ, where you're not content, here's what I believe, you're not responding to your true need. Jesus, and pursuing him and relationship in him. You are more concerned with your own level of contentment, trying to bring it according to your plan and, and, and according to your purpose. But Christ says, Jesus says, I want you to look like me. And so, 
Things are going to come. There are going to be times of abundance and at times of wanting. There are going to be times of hunger and and times of having plenty. All of it with the full intention of driving you to the feet of Jesus and being satisfied in him and who he is and taking on his likeness. I love the way Solomon says it in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He nails it. This is the heart of every man. This is the heart of every woman. Ecclesiastes 3 says this, King Solomon says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. He's placed eternity in our hearts. There's this empty spot in the heart of every individual. It's a gaping, eternal hole in your heart that can only be filled by an eternal God. There is no other way. And so here's what we're guilty of often. We try in vain King Solomon says, a chasing after the wind. All of it's a vanity because we try. Just like Solomon did, he spent his life filling his empty spot with self-indulgence to only be left in the end saying, that was vanity. It was a chasing after the wind. Nothing satisfied. The only one that can satisfy is God Almighty. is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is where we get into trouble, just like Solomon did. We determine what our needs are and we strive for contentment instead of letting God, letting Jesus fill that spot in our hearts that only he can fill. Apart from Christ and relationship with him, we have no real need that will not be provided by him. Paul says it to the church, or he says it to the people in Athens in Acts chapter 17. He says, this is the way it is. In Christ in Christ we live, in Christ we move, and in Christ we have our being. He is absolutely everything. The only thing that will satisfy is being in Christ. And so in order to experience true contentment, as we, as we wrestle over what this real and true need is, we have to, we have to accept this. It's a learned process. The Apostle Paul learned it. We don't easily come to trust in God to satisfy and bring us contentment. And so he takes us through a learning process, and that brings us to our second one. Attaining godly contentment involves this, a commitment to the learning process. Look at what Paul says. I have learned, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. No matter the situation, he says, no matter. I can be content. He says, I know how to be brought low. He knows what it feels like to have the holy heel of the hand of God pushing in his back, bringing him to a place of humility low before him. He knows what it's like to be brought low in front of people, people pressing him down, mistreating him. And then he knows what it is to abound, experiencing fruitful time in ministry. as he humbly expresses his relationship with Christ. And then he goes on to say, any, in any, in every circumstance, I have learned, I have learned, there it is again, the secret of facing what? Plenty, in times when he had plenty. He has learned the secret of being hungry, facing hunger, times of abundance and times of need. Now, for real, who, who actually can truly and honestly say you enjoy the learning process, the learning experience? 
Now, I know some of you are about ready to jump on and say, well, yeah, I absolutely love it. I love to learn this. I love to learn that. But you are deciding what you're going to learn. We like to be the ones that determine what we learn, how we learn it, and the pace with which we will learn. Now, you're not in charge anymore. Let's say your professors are in charge. My first experience in college was terrible, terrible, at least the first two years. Because here's what I learned that I didn't want to learn, especially history. I could not stand history. And we had these things. Every freshman had to take it. It was called a um, history of civilization inventory. And so the professors would give us like 80 80 words, 80 um, things that we had to learn. And they weren't just one-sentence answers. We had to provide an essay answer for each one of those. And then they would choose 30 out of those 80. And in order to pass... We had to pass, we had to, get, we had to get 20 of them right. So guess what I was shooting for? I was shooting for 20. I was shooting for 20. And this is what my study habits looked like. All-nighters the night before, I would forsake sleep for the sake of having fun, cramming. These were my study habits. And, and they, I want to say they asked us to, we had to do three of those. You only had to pass one. So I passed one each semester of my freshman year. History of Civ. It was my enemy. But I was being told what to learn and how to learn it and when I was going to learn it. It was for freshmen. At the end of my sophomore year, I found because of my study habits, and I, and I am ashamed to say it, I even tried cheating. None of it worked. None of it worked. I found myself on academic probation. I had to adjust my study habits. And praise the Lord, he helped me to finish strong. I remember 10 years, 15 years after, I was speaking with one of my business professors. Her name was Ann McFerrin. And uh, she's still there. Um, I was confessing to her my lack of appropriate focus on um, on my studies, on my classes. And you know what she said to me? She said, that's okay. You just had different priorities then. And she was right. I had different priorities then. No one, likes to, no one likes to enter into the learning process when they're told how they're going to learn, when they're going to learn, and what they're going to learn. How did Paul learn contentment? He was not his instructor. God was. Look, he says, I have learned the secret. What is this secret that he's talking about? The secret to get to contentment. I believe it's this. While we suffer through these types of things, being brought low and abounding, in any and every circumstance when we face plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I believe it's this. This is the secret that we need, the way Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 4, we need to entrust our souls to a faithful creator. We got to turn it over to him. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Entrust your soul to a faithful creator. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard, especially when things come that we don't like, that test our ability to be content by simply being in relationship with Christ. Here we go. Where do you need to learn contentment? Again, I'm asking you right now to use the whole, to let the Holy Spirit speak to you regarding any one of these things. All right? So here we go. Let's go back to that list we had at the beginning. Paul says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What are the situations that drive you to be discontented? 
Now listen to the spirit, your physical appearance. Here we go. Hair. Let's revisit hair. The abundant head of hair. I found myself recently complaining of how long it is and deciding to take matters into my own hands. And you can decide for yourself whether or not I should have waited. But abundance. I'm complaining how long my hair is. There is one, there is one who has need and says, I wish I had hair, Jasper. You know what? There was a time where I actually, my need was this, that I didn't, I didn't want hair. It's just one more thing to take care of. So I look forward to the day where I turn bald. It's a matter of perspective, abundance, need. How about your weight? Maybe right now you're someone that you think, I have an abundance of weight and I need to lose a few pounds. Well, there's someone that's saying, I wish I could gain a few pounds. How about your height? You know what? I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm an inch shorter than I was in high school. I wish I was six foot four like my son Caden, or six three like my son Mitch, or six two like my son Josh, or six foot like my other son Reed, six one. Sorry, Reed. I wish I was taller. And then there's someone that's shorter than me that says, You are tall. You don't need to be any taller. How about your job situation? Times of abundance. You are working right now and you're complaining that you're not, you're not, you're complaining that you have to work. And then the one that's not working says, I wish I was working. How about your portfolio again? Abundance. Keep in mind, at least you have a portfolio. There are many whose need says, I live paycheck to paycheck in order to pay every bill. I don't even know what a portfolio is and what it would look like. I have no idea what my retirement is going to be. Need. Here's a good one for you. Food. Think about this now. Think about this. Abundance. Let's call this an abundance. You are provided a frozen cheese pizza from Meyer. Man, that's glory if you haven't had a pizza in a long time or maybe never have. And then you've decided, you know what? That's not good enough for me. Here's what I need. I need Jet's deep dish four corner with, or eight corner with all the works with a side of buffalo wings, a two liter of Pepsi. When abundance for many is simply having a cheese pizza. Maybe you're marriage or maybe you're married and you want to be single. Maybe you're single and you want to be married. Maybe you want to update your house. Maybe you are in an apartment and you want to be in a house. Maybe, you, maybe you're a young adult and you want to be out from under your parents' roof. Maybe you have a boat and you wish your boat and you were abundantly provided for with a boat and you wish your boat was two feet longer. For many of these, church, discontentment is necessary. It means God is not done with you. He's trying to get your attention. He wants you to take on the likeness of Christ. He wants you to be satisfied in Him. It's a learned process. It's learned. It's a process that God walks us through. Now, let me make a point to you. We, are, we should be ones that would entrust our souls to our faithful Creator, but we are so slow to do that. A week ago or so, I shared a devotional based on Psalm 139. And I want to share with you, this is, why, this is why we should trust ourselves to our faithful creator. 
This is why we should trust ourselves to him. Psalm 139 says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. If you haven't seen this yet, that devotional, this is the way it went. I want you to lick your your corona-free finger. I want you to imagine you're sitting on a beach. Pick the beach of your choice. You dip your finger in the sand and you, you, you're determined, okay, I'm going to count the numbers of grains of sand on the tip of my finger. All the days ordained for me. Oh, hold on a second. That's coming. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. You can number them. Brush your finger off. Two hands full. You can't number that. Spread it out in your kitchen table. You never will be able to. You drop it. Fill a five-gallon bucket. Fill a wheelbarrow. Look to your left and look to your right. See the numbers of grains of sand that make up that beach and then go down into the, to the lake or the ocean floor. And you consider that's one beach that's bordering one state on one continent that's on this planet now. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. They would outnumber the grains of sand. We can trust our God because he knows what's best. There is no one to counsel him on how to, how to parent you, how to father you. He knows what's based on his infinite wisdom and knowledge. And then he says, all the days ordained for you were written in my book before one of them came to be anyway. He knows you best. He's the one that created you. He has watched mankind from beginning to end. He knows what you need. He is worthy of our trust, and it's time for us to entrust our souls to our faithful creator. We need to be committed to this learning process, no matter how hard it seems to be. And we need to let Jesus be our instructor, not ourselves. All right, let's move on to the third one. Attaining godly contentment involves this final thing. Stop, stop, stop. Striving in your own strength. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I have to confess, I've used that so out of context so many times. This is what we do with that passage, isn't it? We, we count that passage to be some kind of biblical, motivational super pill that will help me face the hardships of life. And this is what it ultimately turns into. It turns into, I can do. I can do. It becomes a self-effort, effort, a self-promotion, a, a, a battle in your own strength to overcome the things that are in front of you. But, but when we look at it that way, we have so missed it. The key is... I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It has to be based on his strength, the one that is in you, guiding and directing you and the path that he wants you to walk on, strengthening you for every next step. The key is through him. Stop striving. Stop trying to wrestle control from the Lord. Let him have it. Submit to his path and let him strengthen you in accordance with the way he would strengthen you. It's through him. It's through him, church. Now keep in mind the context of this. It's not saying, 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now I'm going to go out and tell that mountain to move. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying he will strengthen you to endure. He will strengthen you to endure the times of abundance and the times of need, the times of plenty, the times of hunger. When you were brought low and when you were abounding, he will strengthen you to face those things through him. And so here it is. How do we achieve godly contentment? First is you need to know your true need, and it's Jesus. Jesus is your true and your only real need. And your contentment can only be found in him. You need to be committed to the learning process. Let Jesus be your instructor. Discontent means you have something to learn. And he intends for you to learn. He says, well, then the third is stop striving in your own strength. It's not what you can do. It's what he can do through you. So, big question, what's at stake if we don't get this? Here's what it is. This is sobering stuff, church. You become weary. You fight to get out of bed when you don't want to get out of bed. But you don't want to stay in bed because it doesn't feel good. You you sense the torment of weariness and you want to be done with it. That's what discontentment brings. Discontentment can bring sickness. You become irritable, angry, resentful, bitter, grumpy. You become someone that's not pleasant to be around when you are living life in discontentment. What do you think the Apostle Paul would have been like if he didn't understand what true contentment was in his true source? I think about him sitting in house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, hungry. Shoot, the Philippian church, they've forgotten about me. I wonder who's going to take care of me next. I wonder who's going to be in relation, who's going to join me in my mission. But instead, that wasn't his response. He understood it and he was overjoyed when Epaphroditus showed up. How eager do you think the Philippian church would have been to send aid to Paul if he was a grumpy old man? Here's a good measure for you. Are you a person that others like to see coming? Or are you a person that others like to see going? Ask those in your life to answer the question, are you truly content? What areas of your life? Ask them to help you. What are the areas of my life where I am expressing discontent? I love the Apostle Paul sitting in prison. Someone that's content, they think the best of others. They think the best of others as we see Paul rejoicing at Epaphroditus showing up. Let's wrap it up with this. How do you know you have a content heart? Three things. How do you know you have a content heart? Here's the first one. You have a heart that rejoices in God's provision. No matter what his provision looks like, you rejoice in it. Paul permitted God to determine what he needed, when he needed it, and how it would come to him. How are you currently doing it? Rejoicing in the sovereign plan that Jesus has for you. Number two, how do you know you have a heart that's content? You have a heart that is patient with God's timing. Paul sat for 10 years out of relationship with the church of Philippi. And then they send aid. 
When I read through this, I don't see a man that, that was impatient. I see a man that grew in his understanding of his relationship with the Lord and became a patient man. Here's the third one. A humble submission to God's plan. How do you know you have a content heart? Because you are humbly submit. You've humbly submitted to God's plan. This is the ice cream on the contentment cake. Excuse me. It could be ice cream. What I meant to say, it, it is the icing on the contentment cake. A humble submission to God's plan. Or God's plan. Look at what Andrew Murray says. Look at how he says it. No one can say it better than this. Humility is, is perfect quietness of heart. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed, I love this, love this, love this. It is to have a blessed home where in the Lord, where I can go, where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my father in secret. And I'm at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and above is in trouble. There is no better way to say a humble submission to God's plan. No better way to say it than like that. So where's your heart today? Does this describe you? Are you someone that is discontent? Are you someone that's content? If you don't know Jesus, I want to say it again. I will make you this guarantee. You will never find true contentment. You might find some semblance of it, like Solomon tried. But unless you are willing to receive the person of Jesus Christ into your life and let him bring you into his you will never find true contentment. Now, if you do know Jesus, it's time. It's time. And you are discontent. It's time to stop fighting. Stop, stop fighting his plan and start looking to the place that is in him. Surrender. Surrender to him. Let him instruct. Let him be in charge and I guarantee you that you will find contentment. This is the real gospel, church. He is our source for everything. And there is no real joy to be found if you are not content in your relationship with the Lord. And so I implore you, please, please find your contentment in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am so thankful for biblical examples like the Apostle Paul that can teach us what it truly means to be in you and to find our contentment in you. Lord, I pray for your church, that we would be satisfied in you, and that we, as you walk us through these hard things and these wonderful times, and that you would, that you would transform us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I count on one thing The same God that never fails Will not fail me now You won't fail me now In the waiting 
The same God who's never lame is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I church, maybe you are in a deep valley of discontentment right now. Well, I can tell you that Jesus Christ has a promise for you to bring you out of that deep valley, to to find a place for you to be content. And so I'm asking you right now, turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and let him, let him bring you to a place of satisfaction and contentment. Well, I hope you've been blessed by today's service. And as always, we miss you so very much. We look forward to the day where we can gather again in our sanctuary and be shoulder to shoulder, lifting high the name of our Savior, Jesus, in worship. 
Well, know this, you are loved, you are missed. Look for us online for our daily devotionals at 6 a.m., Monday through Friday, and then we are praying Monday through Friday every day at noon. And so I look forward to seeing you there.